0: when we were uh, outlining the book and selecting cases for um, our book, we wanted to make sure that everything was not one just about undergrads, undergraduate students, that we included cases on graduate students. But we also included cases uh, on professionals, right, and and practitioners who are actually engaging in work on campus. And so um, absolutely, the book can be utilized in professional development training, Uh, for folks who are even senior and mid-level management right there these um especially now when uh, racism and sort of sexism and the intersectional approaches to our work and thinking about equity and oppression is in the limelight now right well it's always been there but right more so in the limelight now because of what's happening in our country uh this is this is prime material Right? This is where you get the experience of what if this was to happen on our campus? What if a student was to interact with the police like this on our campus, right? What if this happened? And so these are great tools um, and scenarios for folks to actually engage the what ifs um, and to not be as reactive, right? To be proactive and to engage, okay, we not, maybe, we, maybe we won't create a necessarily a disaster plan, right? Should something happen, due to weather or should a campus shooting happen. But these are some other just as important issues that we need to be able to tackle and to address should they happen on our campus. And so this is a great opportunity to continue those
1: learnings. Hello and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Heather Shea. Today on the podcast, we are discussing the use of case studies in student affairs with a dynamic panel. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. In fact, just this morning at our host call, we learned we have, t- we have reached the milestone of 10,000 downloads of, of the podcast, so we're very excited about that here. We do release new episodes every week on Wednesdays, and you can find us at studentaffairsnow.com or on any of our social media channels. This episode is brought to you by Stylus. Visit styluspub.com and use the promo code SANOW for 30% off and free shipping. This episode is also sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadership.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from East Lansing, Michigan, near the campus of Michigan State University, where I work. MSU occupies the ancestral homelands of the Anishinaabe Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples. From wherever you're listening today, we urge you to investigate the original occupants of the land. I am thrilled to have the following individuals present for today's conversation. So let me introduce our panelists. Um, First joining me today is Stuart Brown, the president of studentaffairs.com and sponsor of studentaffairs.com case study competition. I also have with me today, Shannon Karbowski, a recent graduate of the University of Nevada, Reno, and current community director at Arizona State University and half of the winning team from this year's um, competition. And finally, Dr. Krista Porter, Assistant Professor of Higher Education Administration at Kent State. Um, Thank you all so much for being here today. I'm grateful for your time um, and for the conversation that we're about to have. So as each of you give a little bit more of an introduction, can you talk a little bit um, about your interest in case studies? So why did you say yes to this um, episode invitation today? Um, And I'm going to start with Dr. Porter.
0: Thank you all for joining us, and thank you Heather for welcoming me. Uh, Dr. Krista Porter here. She/her/hers uh, pronouns, and I uh, recognize traditional people of this land where I am in Kent State, uh, in northeastern Ohio, belongs to the nations of the Delaware, Miami, Mingo, Ottawa, Shawnee, Wyandot, and Cayuga. This land acknowledgement pays respect to those folks and our ancestors to the contemporary culture and spiritual practices of Native Americans. so I'm so excited to be with you all. As Heather said, assistant professor at Kent State, teach higher ed administration. I've been here for uh, going into my fourth year and I've also worked in the academy for about eight years. And so excited to be with you all and discuss what I teach as well as our recent book, Uh, shout out to my co-editors and I, and I'll talk more about that a little later.
1: Yes, we will be talking about that book and and including a link um, in our show notes so folks can pick up a copy. Um, Stu, welcome to Student Affairs Now.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Heather. So I am, as you said, the founder of uh, studentaffairs.com, and that began in April of 1997, and I'm not going to bore you with the exciting story about how studentaffairs.com started Uh, back then. And it's kind of hard sometimes to think about this. Back then, no one really knew what what a domain name was. The web was just beginning. There was this new tool that we all started using called email. Uh, So we are really the oldest student affairs website. And for the past 30 plus years, I've also been the director of student services at the Waterbury Regional Campus of the University of Connecticut. So do you want me to mention about my interest in case studies? or Sure,
1: yeah, that would be great. Tell us a little bit about what you do in studentaffairs.com with case studies, yeah.
2: So I've been interested in case studies since 1987, because at that point, my wife and I were doctoral students at Teachers College at Columbia University, and we entered the NASPA National Conference Case Study Competition, and we won so it's always, that was a lot of fun, and it, you know, it required you to address a problem or situation in a focused amount of time. At the conference, it was really less than a day. So once I started studentaffairs.com, I'm thinking of different resources, and I thought this would be a fun program. The limitation at the national conferences is you have to be there. Mm. Well, this is the web, so we could be virtual so that was one of the reasons so any grad student anywhere in the world could really attend so we just finished our 20th case study competition we were probably the first entity to offer a virtual case study and we also award prize money so it's not just here's a nice little certificate so Shannon and her group had uh, all the team members received $200 the second place team 150 so we We've given tens of thousands of dollars away awesome. to grad students um, over the year, over the years. And um, I, I, in the document, or I guess on your resource page, I put a link to our case study competition page because we have the past 20 years worth of case studies. So the topic and all the case studies that people can look at, I'll talk about that a, a little later.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Stu. I love it. And and thank you for bringing this topic, actually. Stu uh, approached us, and we're thrilled to be able to talk more about case studies because it's a personal interest of mine as well. And I, too, had a NASPA case study experience at my very first NASPA conference. Um, I think my professor at the time kind of voluntold us um, to compete in the NASPA case study competition, and I found it to be a super fun time, even though I think I missed like an entire day of the conference trying to prep our case study. <laughs> so, um, Shannon, tell us a little bit about you and your interest in case studies.
3: Yeah, so hello, everyone. Um, as I uh, mentioned earlier, my name is Shannon. Um, I use she, hers pronouns. I'm a recent grad, um starting my journey in the professional world of student affairs that's really exciting um yet also kind of intimidating a little bit but um my interest in case studies um actually stems actually this like past year um I've been really into kind of finding ways to like apply what I've been learning that's something that I've been very um passionate about just kind of like moving forward I think being virtual it's really hard for you to really engage in that aspect of being able to kind of figure out like how you can like you know, what I mentioned before, like, that theory into practice, you know, because we're trying to adjust to, like, the health and safety of, like, students that we're working with, um, and so I participated in, actually, a regional case study competition um, through our region, which is AIMHO, and I actually f- took first place in that one, too, and so when they were posting about, um, like, the, the the student affairs uh, case study competition, one of my mentors, uh, she tagged me in that one, and she's like, you got to do it, and I was like, you're right, like, I got it, you know, because I I really enjoyed my experience. And I really enjoyed, like, finding solutions and finding ways for me to kind of, like, solve a problem. Um, I enjoy using, like, a critical thinking lens. And, like, I'm very competitive as a person. It's one of my strengths, um, this competition. And so, like, this was kind of, like, something that I just really enjoyed putting it, like, putting effort into and putting, like, thought into and, like, collaborating with my peers was another big component of that because we don't really get a lot of opportunity to do that right now We do a lot of uh, collaboration. We're expected to be more independent and work virtually and from home from home. And so this really allowed me to just have something to do outside of work and school and like redefine like what my passion areas are and like what work I wanted to contribute towards.
1: I love it. Well, Shannon, congrats on your wins, multiple wins. I think that's awesome. Um, and I love the, I love the energy that you bring also to this conversation around kind of like what it's really meant for you. So we're going to have a good good conversation here today. Um, So I want to start by like, what do we mean by a case study? So people are listening today who, you know, maybe they don't have a professional preparation background in student affairs, or they're thinking of a case study as like a business case or something like that. Like, what is the basic definition? Um, So Steve, why don't you kick us off there?
2: So... I would say what what I look for for a case study is pretty basic. So I want, I'm looking, I think people working as a team to solve in a maybe creative way, a problem, a situation. I also, for the studentaffairs.com, I think it's very important that we tell people there's a presentation part of it. So I'm looking as a t- case study, teamwork, creativity, presentation, it's not a live presentation, but let's say a PowerPoint presentation that people could look at. So it has to be in an orderly fashion. It can't be all jumbled up. So that that's what I look at. That's how I briefly define a case study.
1: Dr. Porter, what else would you
0: add? So, so as opposed to a presentation in class, how I've used case studies is a paper. And so I call it a case study uh, uh, analyst, you know, analysis, um, excuse me. And a lot of faculty, right, around uh, the country in student affairs, higher ed prep programs do the same thing where we say, here's the case, right? And you need to, as an individual, right? Some folks do it in pairs, but I specifically do it as an individual. Uh, if you're this particular character, if you're serving in this particular role, how would you then go about, tell, put, your, put your thoughts on paper, how would you go about identifying the, the issue? What are the characters who are potential collaborators? Uh, how do you meet the students or the staff person's needs? If it's a faculty member, right? How are you meeting their needs? And more specifically, what theoretical frameworks, grounding lens are you ap- imp- um, applying to solve, right, uh, the, the case at hand? And so it's sort of a step-by-step process, similar to what Stu just shared but in the form of a paper as opposed to it.
1: Cool. Yeah, I think the application of theory, right? So we talk a lot in student affairs about using, applying theory to practice or even like theory to practice or practice the theory to practice, right? The PTP model. Um, And so I think that this provides a really awesome opportunity for folks who are in professional prep programs to kind of work through um, what might be real life, somewhat real-life hypothetical situations. Um, Shannon, talk to us a little bit about, as a student, what did you gain from doing these hypothetical scenario case studies in your program? Um, What about it did you like? Were there any pros or or any cons, potentially, to completing case studies? Um, And now, as a new professional, are, are there applications that you're like, "Ooh, I did a case on that, and I kind of know how we talked about it when we discussed the case. Um, If you have some examples there, that would be great too.
3: Yeah, of course. I think as um, a student, like it really allowed us to apply like what we learned in our classes and apply like, um, especially this year, I think a lot of our professors kind of reworked their their lesson plans in order to incorporate like virtual aspects of like what we're going through um, in this past past academic year and so forth. And so it really allowed me to kind of utilize the, the resources that our professors have given us. Like I used a lot of articles like from class, like retention, um, as well as like student engagement and looking at like access as well. Like I used a lot of resources given to me by um, actually my faculty advisor for this one. Um, she gave us a lot of those things to really work towards. And it gave us that opportunity to really like utilize what we learn and kind of like put it on a presentation. Uh, when looking at kind of what we wanted to do, like, it w- was really important that we came in as a cohesive team. Um, I have a really small grad program. So there was only five of us in housing this last year. And so the three of us uh, we were only returning uh, grads to our department at that time. And so like, it was really important for us, you know, to really work together and making sure that we're understanding all of our perspectives like we all have these big ideas you know we're all in this program together we're taking the same classes but it was really important that we really collaborated with each other and made sure that we had that face-to-face interaction when we're creating these in order to make sure that we're on the same page of like what we wanted to do and how we wanted to achieve that I think it helped with us too I think some of the pros is like the three of us uh that were on the team Suzanne and Nathan like we all work together you know we're in the same we've been in the same cohort we've done the same like committees and working groups and it really allowed us to understand like what each other's strengths were and what the three of us all brought to that team and how we wanted to like go forth and do doing that and so I think it really helped solidify like collaborating and knowing when to kind of step away from your own idea to encourage other voices like within the team to step forward and like share their perspectives Because I think that can be really hard to do, you know, it can be really hard to be like, you know, like, I know I really like my idea, but you also have a great idea. So let's work Mm -hmm. on like creating something together on that. Um, I do think, um, like when I was thinking of cons, you know, like overall, I think it was a great experience, but I kind of wish that... um, you know, you could see this program kind of, like, be an actuality, you know, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. being, like, it's kind of a pro and a con, like, you get to put all of this thought and effort and creative energy into a space to create some sort of program, but then, like, we don't get to see that if that's actually, like, if that actually can come true, right, like, you don't really get to see, like, if this program that we created is actually realistic, you know, and so I think uh, we kind of were in that boat of, like, how creative, can we be with this within like the focus of like what we know? And so I think definitely we were thinking about that. We were like, man, this is a great program. Don't know if I'd want to do it or put it on, but this is a great program. <laughs> um, And it would be interesting to just kind of see like if schools, like I've taken some of these things and put them to actuality, I think would be interesting to look at, but overall it was a great experience. And like, I really, allowed us to work kind of under pressure, you know, work in school and then doing this as well and just trying to figure out like what strengths we all bring um, to this team.
2: Heather, if, if, if I can add to what, what Shannon said. Um, so, it, and again, the, the, the link is gonna be uh, available to people, but we have 20 years worth of case studies. And what happens is we'll get about a hundred different teams from maybe 50 different graduate programs um and then there's some that that fall off so we have about a 75 percent submission rate every presentation is there so my go wow. my, person, my personal goal is exactly what shannon said i want student affairs people to go in and and take you know yeah if you want to email me and say oh by the way uh, you know we're we loved Kent State's program and we're taking it, you know, steal it, take everything because, yeah. you know, that's what students are, you know, these teams are doing. If we're doing something on food insecurity, well, scan the 50 different programs. You might find a complete program. There might be a resource or an idea that you didn't think of. So that that's my goal. I unfortunately, I don't have anything unless someone. Emails me and says, "Oh, by the way, on this year's case study or the case study you did ten years ago, we we borrowed something."
1: That's great. I mean, this is where having these online resources is really useful, right? Because we can all Google and find. But knowing I could go here, and here are all these topics that are kind of current issues. That's great, um, Dr. Porter. I I am really curious if you see any cons to using case studies. Um, one of the things I think I mentioned before we got on the actual recording today is that I wrote a paper with a colleague in my doc program about using case studies and some of the cons we identified were um, that when you ask graduate students to pretend like they're the dean of students or pretend like they're the vice president of student affairs, like those are typically not jobs that people have right out of grad school. Like is is, is that, does that have a utility to it or does that create, you know, new professionals that are like, well, I did this case study on how to be a dean. So now I can go tell my dean, this is what you should be doing, right? Um, that was one, ca- that was one kind of hypothetical con that we that we thought of. But what what other cons would you say?
0: No, I think that's, that's really important. Heather is when we're, and I say we as administrators, faculties, grad students, we're working with the undergrads. I think we have to be realistic. Right. And so a few things come to mind is making the case study um, content specific, right? So, content meaning uh, job descriptions, what are folks actually going to be taking up as, you know, entry level, mid level, executive level, uh, holding executive positions, but also context, right? For us who are um, facilitating the case studies, is to make sure that folks are understanding of, you know, this case is occurring at a Hispanic serving institution. So this is different because this particular case is happening in an urban area, right? A metropolitan city where the campus is located. How does that make a difference? So content, context, but also uh, in the book, we really highlight um, wanting folks to then not use theory uh, as a prescription. Right. Mm-hmm. So, just because this particular case study is about this particular student at this particular context, that does not mean that um, whatever you decide or whatever you resolve to be the the implication uh, does not necessarily mean right. It, it, it doesn't mean that it should be a prescription and it's going to match every single student at every right. Um, and then the last thing I'll share is how we really talk intersectionally um about student identities positionalities right all of this makes a difference and so one student who identifies as muslim in this context is not going to necessarily be the same for another student in another context right and so all of those i can see those being cons and so we really push the the readers of the text and the readers of case studies to to go further right and that's where the pros come in that's where the opportunity comes in that's where the realistic sort of nature of of case studies come into play.
1: I'm going to stay with you for just a moment, Dr. Porter, because I am really curious about this book and we'll come back to the case study competition. Um, so tell us a little bit about the book. How did you, how did it come about? What were some of the things that um, you were hoping to kind of explore as far as topics? Uh, how do you see the book being used and and who are your collaborators uh, Absolutely. Um, on the book? So.
0: So first I'll shout out to, to my people, right? Um, Jason Garvey, Jessica Harris, Darius Means, and, and Rosie Perez. So we are a group of five, actually the class of 2017 ACPA Emerging Scholars cohort. Right? Rock so stars, we, so all, we all you. <laughs> So we were, uh, it's an honor, right, to have that title. And so what basically you do is you come together and you decide on various projects to engage you can work individually. Some folks you know, have engaged individually, but us, we just, we just meshed, we gelled well together and we all had some sort of interest in student development. And so it matched, right? Our research strands and all of our themes. Okay, so actually I'm a shout out to Jason because Jason thought of the idea of a book and uh, we said, you know what? All right, Jay, cool. We, we go follow your lead in this one. Um, so, so it, it happened, right? So we started the proposal, we talked with our senior scholars and, and Rutledge, we shot it to Rutledge and they accepted it, okay? And so um, what we wanted to do was first get a sense of what other student development theory books and case studies were out there first. And there's there's some, right? So we said, how can we come at it from a different perspective? And that's where the advancing social justice and inclusion came in is, um, yes, there's case studies, and yes, there's soon development, but how do we sort of advance this idea of equity? How do we include cases and topics relevant to our current day and pushing our field further, right? So, uh, of course, we shot out the book, Rethinking Soon Affairs, where they're, instead of families, they're looking at sort of perspectives and theoretical lenses, right? And so we wanted to, to gel all of that together. And so our book consists of 39 case studies where uh, folks who are authors are doctoral students, administrators, faculty around the country. Uh, folks were selected. So folks had to submit nominations. They were, and then of course we selected them. And and then we as a, a co-editing team uh, wrote introductory chapters. Um, the book is sort of separated into all of the theoretical development sort of families. So, you know, psychosocial, identity, racial, right, gender. But we also include uh, opportunities for further investigation. So what are some uh, emerging trends? What are, how can we look at third culture kids? How can we look at veteran students? How can we look at student athletes, right? So all of these student populations that were not necessarily included, right? In our sort of understanding of theory. Um, and and then I'll share the, the, what we do and how we want it to be used. So we really push um, readers and students and faculty, administrators, to five things, right? Reflect on how we label student development theory. Reflect on the power to create theory. So who controls theoretical assumptions? Who controls theory? Who creates it? Uh, Re-examine the nature of development. So we talk about growth, development, change, all as different processes. We examine, we want folks to examine how oppression intersects with student development. So what does critical race theory and racism and sexism have to do with someone who is developing cognitively, right? All of those are important at the same time. And then finally, we want folks to explore the possibilities of theoretical borderlands. So what does it mean when you have a student who maybe, right, we want to use Perry or, you know, we want to use, um, you know, Cross's Niagara sense model. Okay, well, what does it mean also when they're going through something around their sexuality? right? What does it mean when they're in a predominantly white space that uh, we have racism and sexism and heterosexism going in at the same time, right? And so we want folks to think about that.
1: I I can't wait to pick up a copy of this book. In fact, I am going to put it on my um, my shopping cart. <laughs> so I had right, put that in there. put, that yeah, in put there. it in there. Um, <laughs> partially because I feel like um, I love the application to the theories and the other books that I've looked at, um, mm-hmm have either focused on ethical decision-making and really focused on that lens um, or the topics are all kind of jumbled together and you have to read through a lot of them to kind of get to that, what would work in this particular um, class session. So I love it. We're um, on student affairs now kind of interested in how faculty come to identifying their their class structures. So like using cases, I think is something that folks who are watching may be interested in doing. Mm-hmm. um it's going to be a great resource for the field Thank uh, you Thank and you. i'm super excited uh about the project too right so when the emerging scholars came together and came up with something that's that's great shout out um, shout
0: out to an awesome team
1: yes yes absolutely um yeah i i <laughs> i sent uh I sent the book cover to chris Wren who you know, Dr. Porter and I'm like, how did this happen? And she's like, wow, they were all emerging scholars together that you're like, oh, I love
0: it, so cool.
1: So Stu and Shannon, tell me a little bit about um, the history, well, you talked a little bit about the history of the competition in the past, but um, what are some of the legacy um, moments that you would consider? And then Shannon, if you could talk a little bit about the case, the, the specific case that you explored, um, and you talked you alluded a little bit to this program that you'd love to do, but what was it that you that you went into, so Stu, we'll start with you and then lay the groundwork, and then Shannon can unpack the case a little bit more.
2: So in preparation for this program, I was just going through all the last twenty years and and what I find interesting is you know you're going back in time here's a time portal, so what was big? And so, for example, I think the third year we asked about coming up with a fictional student life website, and you know, and and or critique a portal, because back then, again, websites were not big. Offices did not have websites. Schools did not have websites. Uh, one year, uh, I think the fifth year, it was all about Facebook. So again facebook now but facebook in 2005 was still new what were these groups colleges were doing there was a lot of issues around facebook and then let's say fast forwarding in the last couple of years talking about uh, food insecurity bullying um let's see eight years ago two four six seven years ago uh really before i think this was as prevalent as it was now welcome uh, put together a presentation for a more welcoming environment for transgender students. Bullying to, over ten years ago. Talking about sexual violence. So I I, I like to think that we're we've been ahead of the curve with some of the issues, and then again, having those students think about it and having to come up with ideas. And I think for even grad students, but you know really new professionals, mid-level, a lot of times there's there's not a lot of comfort. You might get a phone call or an email. Uh, You've been appointed to this committee and I need results yesterday. So <laughs> that's where I think with the case study, where you do have a limited amount of time. I mean, for our case study, I think I give students three weeks. You might not have three weeks. So I think it helps people really come up with ideas and how to work on a schedule while they're in a sense doing their full-time job. So that's where I see um, with the case study and, and some of the topics and because we start putting together the case study, it could even be a month ahead of time. It's like, what is new? So in usually I, I, I unveil the case in February. Well, in January, there might be this hot button issue that everyone's talking about. I'm going to write the case study about that. So, uh, so I think that really makes it very fresh and hopefully interesting to the students.
1: I love the time, you know, the time travel kind of thing, right? Like when that particular issue was, you know, super, you know, hot or timely. Um, those end up being so. It'll be interesting. I'll go back and take a look. And yeah. we're putting well, a link in the folks.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, you know, if if people have time, Mm -hmm. oh, we all have time, but it is maybe fun to go back and see like, what what were people thinking back then? Because it was so primitive compared Mm -hmm. to today. So Mm -hmm. it, it, I think it's instructive and also it could be maybe in a warped way, a little entertaining.
1: Sure. (laughs) So Shannon, what was the case that you specifically um, looked at? for the competition this this year?
3: Yeah, so this year's theme uh, was social engagement. So creating um, an impactful and engaging uh, program or opportunity for, I think it was predominantly for first year students, I think that the focus was, um, you know, because this year being virtual, a lot of students like didn't have an opportunity to really engage with campus or come to campus. They stayed at home, did school from home, work from home. And so uh, my group and I, we wanted to find, we wanted to create an experience that we felt like students were missing out on the most this year. And so I supervise uh, student staff. And so like working in housing, I have a team of uh, community assistants that I oversaw. And one of them have been talking to me during one of our one-on-ones um, that, you know, he was really just um, like, despite everything, he says the one thing that he really missed out on was like studying abroad. And he said that, you know, that trip got canceled for him. Like he was really excited about it. Like it was a great opportunity for him to kind of like Get out of this comfort zone, learn something new, meet new people, connect with people whose, um, whose identities don't necessarily represent yours and just trying to find ways to like embrace different cultures. And so that really stuck with me because I heard that a lot from a lot of different students as well. And, you know, they a lot of trips got canceled. They got sent home early. Like I had a friend who was in um, Italy at the time and they got sent home early. They sent them all home like at the start of the pandemic. And so that really stuck with me like that kind of overall theme of, like, cultural engagement or study abroad was something that um, I was thinking a lot about, and so in meeting with our group, like, we were looking at kind of what institutions were doing to kind of fill in that void, and so, like, what cultural engagements that they were opportune that they were providing, and I forget what school kind of did it, but they did, like, a uh, study abroad, like, resource fair, where they said, like, this is what, like, you can hope for in the future, Like this is what study abroad looks like, but we didn't really see a lot about um, trying to kind of create that experience, you know, like one of the pros of, you know, having the internet and being online is like, you can connect with people all over the world, you know, through your computer screen. And, you know, there's a lot of negative biases or connotations about like connecting virtually and people like, want to be in person. And that's all valid and real, but there's still a lot of pros and affordability when it comes with just connecting with people over Zoom or over video chat. And so that's what we wanted to do. And so we created a um, a virtual cultural exchange. And so it's like a weekend event where uh, we partnered up with an institution in uh, Mexico. Uh, so we looked at institution comparisons. And so looking at the University of Batarina, like what was our population? Uh, what demographics did we have? Like we're an emerging Hispanic serving institution. And so we have a lot of individuals that like want to learn more about their culture or want to learn more about like where their family comes from or um, yeah and uh, stuff such as that and so we wanted to kind of make it more of like a a real life type of thing and so we used like actual our actual institution and used um, an institution in uh, Mexico uh, which is our faculty helped us kind of narrow that down of like what type of event or like what we could realistically provide for students during uh, that weekend and so because we had big ideas and they were like no let's tone that down just a little bit like <laughs> we you're like all right all right um, and so yeah we made an event where we partnered up uh hypothetically partnered up with an institution and provided like activities such as like intro to language like a cooking um opportunity where uh, we provide like recipes and supplies or working with like the dining facilities to help create uh, meals for students uh like different opportunities for socials like game nights there's a lot of virtual games uh that we could have provided and then like finding like potentially reaching out to, like, faculty to also, like, help teach classes about, like, meaningful conversation, uh, respectful inquiry, you know, because with first-year students, especially at Nevada, where they all come from very rural areas and often don't have to interact with individuals who don't represent or who don't represent them, uh, we wanted to, like, find ways to make it more, um, like, a safe environment for individuals just to learn from each other and get that experience the best we can virtually.
1: Oh my gosh, I love this case. Um, I, I actually lead an undergrad study abroad, and we've had to completely abandon our plans last year. And this year, we tried to do something similar, but I'm sure you had lots of ideas that would have made um, our engagement even better. So awesome! Well, I love I love the idea of using this too as kind of a, an opportunity to you know see great examples out there and. So as you reflect, I want to move to the, um, kind of the, the now what, right. So, you know, you do, you do a case uh, either in a classroom or as a part of a case study competition. Um, I'd love to hear more from you, Shannon, about like, how did you reflect upon the experience? What, you know, beyond the, it was great, you know, and we, we got, you know, obviously we won it was such a cool opportunity. Like when you think about, um you know, the important part of, you know, theory to practice, it often comes back to this idea that you need to reflect and what are the actions you're going to take or do differently. Um, Talk a little about the importance of reflection.
3: Yeah, of course. Um, And so I think um, I try to, like, working on these case studies, like in the two that I've been a part of, I really try to utilize, like, what I've learned and utilize that experience and try to uh, give it to my student staff as well. Um, I think, you know, student leaders really want to grow and they really want a lot of professional development opportunities to really reflect and engage with each other. And so I kind of made, I do this every year with my staff. So um, in the two years that I've been supervising student staff, um, every year I have them present their own kind of hot topic presentation. And so they get to pick a topic that they're passionate about that they feel like are impacting their residential communities or they feel that's impacting um, the students that they're working with. And they do a lot of self-guided um research and reflection and like use their own perspectives of what they think needs to be reevaluated or what they think is like being uh, what they think is happening on like our college campus and they present it to um each other during our meetings and then they engage with each other in um conversations like reflective conversations and so i think when i look at what they put on so they've done topics such as toxic masculinity uh, affirmative action indigenous support um sexism as well as accessibility on campus and it really like seeing them engage with each other on these conversations and seeing how they see things being impacted like really related a lot to my experience of like self-reflecting and so for me like it really allows me to kind of think about when we're talking about like student populations for example or like providing opportunities for students like what students are we talking about right like I think it's really easy to like bring on programming or create programming or opportunities for students that kind of fit that dominant identity group and we're not really thinking about like that intersectionality piece that was brought up earlier and so for this like when it comes to creating like a study abroad the uh, we wanted to think about affordability too. Like more often than not, um, study abroad is can be very expensive for some individuals that don't have like specific financial aid or scholarships or financial support, and more often than not, they kind of may not get that same opportunity or that same experience just due to not being able to afford it. Which is why we wanted to create this event to kind of be it's free, so like it would be all funded by us, and so that way students would kind of get that opportunity. While it's not exactly the same, it was kind of some sort of like meet in the middle of that aspect and so I think when it comes to creating programming and working with student staff is I really challenge them to think about like what students are programming to or like what students um, they're interacting with and how they can like utilize these resources that they found and each other in order to create something that impacts all students you know and not just like the dominant student identity population that we work with and so that's something that I've been doing a lot of reflecting on and I think especially with the With these case studies, like the one before this, we talked about uh, like student staff, they want to protest, but they're also student leaders and represent the university. And so like, what does that look like? Right. And so it's really just kind of breaking that down and really looking at all aspects like policies and procedures and like current practices that we have and really trying to find something that we could do to like help support like students and all like at every aspect of their journey or at every aspect of uh, the career field or passion areas that they have.
1: Wow, I think that was a great summary of the importance of reflection and also how you do it with students. So thank you so much. Um, Case studies are useful beyond classroom though, right? I mean, I think that's the other piece is how can we take um, either the cases in this book or the cases that, um, that Stu's group has developed and think about them as tools for professional development or other further conversation Dr. Porter, talk a little bit about the utility beyond professional preparation.
0: Absolutely. I think, and I just want to shout out to Stu. I, I'm so grateful for the uh, database. I'm actually going to pull it, right, and think about where, how we yeah. can use in addition to the book. So I'll say that first. Um, so when we were uh, outlining the book and selecting cases for um, our book, we wanted to make sure that everything was not, one, just about undergrads undergraduate students that we included cases on graduate students, but we also included cases uh, on professionals, right? And and practitioners who are actually engaging in work on campus. And so um, absolutely the book can be utilized in professional development training uh, for folks who are even senior and mid-level management, mm-hmm. right? There are these, um, especially now when, racism and sort of sexism and the intersectional approaches to our work and thinking about equity and oppression is in the limelight now right well it's always been there but right more so in the limelight now because of what's happening in our country uh this is this is prime material right this is where you get the experience of what if this was to happen on our campus what if a student was to interact with the police like this on our campus, right? What if this happened? And so these are great tools um, and scenarios for folks to actually engage the what ifs um, and to not be as reactive, right? To be proactive and to engage, okay, we, not, may, we maybe we won't create a necessarily a disaster plan, right? Should something happen due to weather or should a campus shooting happen? But these are some other just as important issues that we need to be able to tackle and to address should they happen on our campus. And so this is a great opportunity to t- continue those learnings.
1: Yeah, Stu, what else would you add about using cases beyond grad school?
2: Well, first of all, I, I want everyone out there to please use and abuse the database of <laughs> presentations. Uh, that's what it's there for. I, I would love this to be a living document. and uh, And if you wanna just email me or say, thanks, that's fine. But I really want people to use it. And I I have had faculty that have contacted me in the past, and, and they'll actually make it an assignment. Uh, So, you know, all of a sudden, I'll see five teams from a certain grad program. I'm thinking, (laughs) well, maybe that was, which is great, you know, if I can, I can help out. So I, I think one thing that kind of touches on what Dr. Porter was saying is, when we are working in student affairs, yes, we are collaborative, and but a lot of times we're in silos or we have jobs and, and it's hard. And I think what the case study does is really helps people start to work together. This past year and this summer, even maybe more so, we have been forced to work together. We have all these little groups and you know, committees and subcommittees and this group reporting to that. Well, maybe the case study gave you some experience over other people because you had to deal with that and you've had to deal with it in a short amount of time. I mean, I was on a subcommittee that in one month had to make recommendations and this was getting a very large group together virtually. So people that had that experience can shine or maybe take a leadership position as opposed to someone who hasn't had that. So I I think that's something that is very positive about being involved in a case study and taking chances. You know, a lot of times, I think I said previously, you might not be selected because you're the expert. You've been selected because there's nothing, you're not doing anything right now and boom, you're the expert
1: yeah that's so true um and and I think your ability to think quickly right and do it do it on the spot. I think that's one of the the muscles that you get to kind of fine tune through through doing cases and as Dr. Porter said, thinking through scenarios because if it's not like on multiple times, it's like it's happening on that campus right now, next it's gonna be our campus right um and for folks who have been you know out of grad school for a while. Uh, you know, as Vernon Wall said in the episode that we posted yesterday, you know, our physicians, we hope, are continuing their education, right, going back. Um, I have a, you know, primary care physician, and I hope that she is uh, going to the medical conferences, learning the latest uh, tips and tricks on how to deal and and reading the research, um, and we in student affairs need to be doing the same, in cases, and particularly those that are grounded in the theory, and, and um, the the foundational documents of our profession help us kind of think more about what we would do. Um, I think it's a fascinating resource and I'm really grateful for all of our conversation. And we always run out of time. Um, We're wrapping up and we always end student affairs now with the question, what are you thinking about? Troubling kind of questioning or what has this conversation sparked for you um, now? So Stu, I'm gonna start with you on closing remarks
2: well if i was doing my case study right now i would uh do something about reopening but that that's been in in my mind and i think every student affairs person right now uh you know what what's the fall going to look like as far as reopening plans masks social distancing one thing that uh was brought up in one of our meetings which i've been really thinking a lot about is the whole nature of virtual working i mean in my view the the structure of student affairs has changed that we are not going back to pre pandemic that the, the virtual realm is here and a lot of student affairs people are asking well how can i work virtually how can i work virtually and not only that but when we are hiring now our candidates going to be saying okay great you know i love everything about your school what's your virtual working policy So these are things we have to develop because business is doing this. We have to do it now. We can't be uh, passive about this or reactive. So those are the things I'm thinking of. and, And we'll see next winter when I'm putting together the case study. If this is still out there, then you might see something about virtual work. So you've heard it here first.
1: Uh, all the all the grad students out there are like oh i'm going to start kind of thinking more about that like get the prep um shannon what about you what are you thinking about now or pondering or questioning yeah i think i want to
3: echo what was said previously i think you know we've all spent a year you know, working from home or being virtual or like avoiding, uh, not avoiding, but just like making sure that we're like isolating ourselves, for like our own health and safety as, well as the health and safety of others. But I wonder like what that's going to look like going into a new normal. Like, I don't think it's a realistic expectation to expect everyone all at once, hundred percent in person again. You know, like, I feel like, you know, we've gotten a lot of time to like create those boundaries and expectations for ourselves of like what screen time looks like, of what sitting in an office looks like all day right and so I think moving forward I think it's really important like for me like when I'm working with my students like making sure that you know they are finding that balance and making sure that they're not putting themselves in an opportunity where they're burning themselves out a lot quicker and you know especially like with classes being in person again and work being in person again like there's we need I think what's bothering, not bothering me, but troubling me or what's gotten me thinking right now is like, how can we find that balance, you know, that healthy balance of making sure that like our students are feeling comfortable and safe in the work environment that they're in, as well as like professionals, you know, and making sure professionals, um, mental health is still being um, like a priority and making sure that we're not expecting everything to be exactly the same as it was before. And I think, you know, I would want to echo a lot of what, with what Stuart said on that as well. And like, just trying to figure out like how to find that balance and maintain like a healthy work environment for
1: everyone. Dr. Porter, what are your thoughts, questions, ponderings? Yeah.
0: So, uh, I have engaged in two sort of lines of inquiry as a result of the global pandemic and all of the racial injustices happening, right? So, COVID for for me as well as the past summer has revealed some things, right? Um So one project is how do we as minoritized specifically and racially minoritized faculty um, call out, call in and uh, our institutions who have put out these equity statements and who have put out all of this, I'm gonna do this and we're gonna put money here and we're gonna do this, but yet in practice, uh, faculty of color specifically are still engaging in the same type of exploitive labor, uh, increased advising loads, Right? and so how has the pandemic and the racial injustices really um, perpetuated and exacerbated what we've already experienced this whole time right so we don't want folks to go back to normal right so that's yeah. the one project is what does this mean for for us uh, as Black faculty the other project is what has the global pandemic um, exacerbated for Black women graduate students and new practitioners mm-hmm. so uh, Lori Patton Davis and I as well as Lawanda Ward have put out a national call, a national survey, we were able to get uh, 70 plus participants of black women at various institutions to really talk about the economic injustices that have continued to occur as a result of COVID, right? And so what does this mean for wage disparities? What does this mean for equity? What does this mean for folks losing jobs, still having children at home and all of these, right? So we're shedding light on specifically black women graduate students, professional students as well as new practitioners in our field, and so we have a forthcoming piece coming out in JSAR, Look, look out for it.
1: I would like to put a pin in that episode um, as a future topic on student affairs now, because that I think is a really, um, a really critical topic that we that we need to kind of delve into more deeply. And if there's a a a, a platform or a way for us to continue to illuminate that, um, through sharing here, I would be thrilled. Uh, so I'll be in touch with you. Um, and Dr. Patton Davis and, uh, your collaborators. It's Mm -hmm. great. Yes, that's right. Um, so thank you all. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation I think uh, it's def- definitely given me some things to think more about regarding case studies and how I want to use them in my classroom and as well as in my professional development so thank you for your time. Um, also, thanks again to our sponsors leadership and stylus. Um, For those of you who don't know about both of these organizations, let me tell you a little bit about them. Um, Leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtual and in person, for students and professionals, with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. And you can find out more at www.leadershape.org slash virtual programs or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Our other sponsor of today's episode is Stylus. Um, Stylus says that they are proud to be a sponsor of Student Affairs Now podcast. Browse their student affairs, diversity, and professional development titles at styluspub.com. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you can use promo code SA Now for 30% off all books plus free shipping. And you can also find Stylus on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at styluspub. A huge shout out also to our production assistant, Natalie Ambrosi for all the things she will do behind the scenes to make our podcast look and sound good. And if you are listening today and not already receiving our newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and add your email to our MailChimp list. And while you're there, you can check out our growing archives. I'm Heather Shea. Thanks again to the fabulous guests and to everybody who's watching and listening. Make it a great week, everyone.